welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. So yesterday we looked at the role of men and women, and and I noted that there was nothing necessarily in that particular paragraph that showed that that conversation had to remain like about pastors, although it is noteworthy that we do move into that discussion right after. So we move into what should a pastor be? What should this overseer look like? And Let's go over some of these terms, too. We have multiple terms for leaders within the church that show up in Scripture. Overseer and deacon, both in this chapter. The word presbyter, or elder, as we normally translate that in English, also shows up in Scripture in the New Testament. Um, It's where you get the Presbyterian church from, a church of elders. But to be quite honest and fair in our description of things, There's a lot of overlap in these words in the New Testament, and it's hard to make a clear-cut distinction of what they are. And really, for that reason, as we look at the service of the church today, we pretty much just label all of these as pastors. There is obviously, with chapter 3 here, distinguishing between the two, there is some kind of a distinction. But I do believe we can fairly say that in the church body that we serve in today in the LCMS, we've just kind of blurred them together. We've lost sight of... Historically speaking, we've lost sight of what that distinction may have really been. So we've got overseer first. If anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Start right here. If you've got a son in your family, in your household, see if there's any interest. If there's not, that's fine. We need faithful men in 
all areas. The Lord will work through faithful men wherever they are. But the church does need faithful shepherds. So if your son has any interest in that, encourage him. Um, send him to your pastor to have a conversation about what that might look like. Let him shadow your pastor for a day or a week and see what the, the work of a pastor is, what a pastor does. Um, see if your pastor can give him encouragement or, or help him think through that possible vocation out of many, many, many vocations that we all have. Um, but that's one more that he might, your son might take on. So Paul gives a list of qualifications for these overseers, for these shepherds of God's people. And this is not just then for Timothy, right? I mean, Timothy is one of these overseers, but this is more generically speaking. Paul is leaving this behind for the church to have. What should a pastor be? First, he must be above reproach. I think it's fair to argue that most of the stuff in the list kind of contributes to that idea um, so that no one will look at him basically in disgust that he is not in this position where his own lifestyle in whatever way hinders the gospel from being proclaimed. That the members of his church the sheep that the Lord has entrusted to him in that place, they can look to him as being trustworthy, as being one who cares for them. The husband of one wife is going to get mentioned in both lists for both the overseer and the deacon. This is an interesting one. Um, why is it here, essentially? Now, you've got, you've got the argument we can certainly make against the Roman Catholic Church of our era that has for a long time uh, required their priests to be celibate, that is to not be married, and that has caused issues. Uh, it's simply scripturally not faithful, right? Here Paul says that it is fine for a husband, uh, a pastor, an overseer to be a husband. That is okay, that is good. So that's here in scripture for that angle. There's another angle here that I do think we need to start thinking about more. I believe that the church today is woefully underprepared for the upcoming battle over polyamory in the United States. Polyamory, um, similar to polygamy, polygamy is the idea of a husband having multiple wives. Polyamory is really much love, I think essentially what that word means, that you love multiple. Because if we go down that road in America, it won't be polygamy, right? Um, it won't be restricted based on gender. Our culture doesn't even want to have genders. Um, they want to destroy that idea really totally. So polyamory is a conversation that we need to be rooted in scripture around and we need to start talking about more. We need to do Bible studies on the subject and see what the Lord actually has to say. There is a reason why the phrase husband of one wife appears as a qualification for overseers and deacons. It means that there were people at the time who had more than one wife. So that was a part of their culture. It's something they were familiar with. And the, the, the pastor specifically should not be that, should not do that. Now, just for practical purposes, the reasoning here is that it is a service, right, to be a husband. 
It gives you the responsibility of caring for a wife. It gives you the responsibility of caring for children. That is not an easy task. It is a worthwhile task. It is not an easy task. And it takes time. It takes sacrifice. And to be a pastor, to be a shepherd of a congregation, is not an easy task, but it is a worthwhile task. It takes time. And it takes sacrifice. And this, quite honestly, is the reasoning behind the Roman Catholic Church requiring priests to be celibate, that there is just so much to do as a priest that they're just, you know, you need to have your focus and attention not distracted, not turned away, um, but instead focus on the work of the Lord in his house. That's understandable, at least where they're coming from for that reasoning, um, but again, we would reject that teaching of theirs. I do know that as an LCMS pastor, if I were to convert to Roman Catholicism at some point, that there's a loophole, there's a back door. I would get to keep my bride. Um, she would get to stay married to me. She'd be quite upset with me for going over uh, to the Roman Catholic Church, though. <laughs> and I have no intention of doing so at this point. Um, they would need to convince me of, of several things, um, which Luther has long argued against them. So we'll move on to the next topic here. Sober-minded, this is not just about drunkenness, because that's a separate one. Uh, Sober-minded means not giving my mind over, your mind over, to be controlled by something else. Drunkenness applies, drugs apply, but so does sin. So caught up in your sin that it dominates you. It controls your daily life. Any addiction can fit into here as well. I mean, today we've got things like video games and television and sports and uh, gambling, all sorts of things that can fit into that conversation about sober-mindedness. Because if you cannot think clearly, you cannot preach the gospel clearly. Self-controlled. So able to control himself, able to curb his own sinful desires. Respectable. So the people can look to him. Again, that goes very well with above reproach. Hospitable. He's got to be able to host people and care for them, show them love as he welcomes them into his home. Able to teach. The, the pastoral task is very much a teaching task. We teach you the scriptures. Um, we teach you the Old and New Testaments. We teach you how those things point you to Christ. We share the law with you. We share the gospel with you. As we preach, it is teaching. As we, as we have conversations, we're, we're teaching. So it's a, it's a useful skill for the pastor. And one from my experience that is not shaped and formed very well in our processes today. I had one class on education at the seminary, um, and I had none on it in my undergraduate work. So it is, if you, if you seek to become a pastor, taking a few classes on your own to learn simply how to teach would be a useful endeavor. Not a drunkard. Um, again, that goes with both sober-minded and being above reproach. Not violent, but gentle. So not given in to anger, not quarrelsome, fitting as well. Not a lover of money, because then he could be bribed, right? Uh, you don't have to buy the forgiveness of your sins. Those are simply given. Uh, you want your pastor to teach not whatever you want him to teach uh, as an individual, whenever your desires may or may not change, the congregation wants him to be faithful and to teach faithfully. 
And so if an individual is there who's bribing him to teach something else, he needs to be able to say no. He needs to be able to focus on the work of the gospel. Must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and doing so with dignity. So not like just beating his children ridiculously so that they fear him to the point where they never do anything. That's not it. But able to lead his children in a way that they respect him, and they submit to him because they trust him. They know that he will love them and care for them. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I am not alone on this in the LCMS. Uh, there are pastors among us who believe that this verse disqualifies us if we lose our marriages. If my wife were to leave me for any reason, um, I would have failed at this qualification. I would be disqualified from serving as a pastor in the church. Um, so I encourage my people to pray for my wife as much, if not more, um, than they pray for me. I pray for my family, pray for the strength of our, our marriage because the Lord, uh, the devil, will seek to attack that and undermine it. Can't be a recent convert because then he might get puffed up, he might get conceited, he might think too much of himself. Um, so somebody who's been in this for a while is, is a requirement. The devil otherwise can seek to trap him. We get that in both verse 6 and verse 7, right? So not puffed up because he's new to the church and also he has to be thought well of by outsiders so that he doesn't fall into traps of the devil in disgrace. Um, so, so hated by the culture, by the people in his own town that he's not able to serve. He's not able to do anything at that point because, well, again, he's trapped. All right, deacons, um, you can pick up a little bit on deacons in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, tasks like distributing alms, so the gifts that are given to the church, they distribute those to those who are in need, uh, providing for those in need, caring for the, the physical house in which the worship is held, those sorts of things. Similar list uh, for deacons, that they not be addicted to too much wine, so drunkenness from verse 3. Um, that they not be double-tongued so that you can actually hear what they say and believe it. You know, they're not speaking one thing to one person and then contradicting themselves later to someone else. Dignified, hold to the mystery of the faith. The faith is a mystery, right? We don't understand it all, and we hold that mystery. Uh, we talk that way as Lutherans, that there's a tension oftentimes in the things that we believe, and we, we're okay letting it be. We're okay letting God be God and admitting that we don't know stuff all the time. And that's good. Hold it as a mystery. They are to prove themselves blameless. So test them. See if they are able to serve in this role. Then there's a responsibility laid on their wives. Right? They too must be dignified. They can't be caught up in slander. I think we'd throw gossip in that mix. Um, Sober-minded. So that was back in verse 2 of the overseer. Faithful in all things. The deacon also has to be the husband of one wife, manages household well. In doing these things, the deacon gains a good standing for themselves. So that goes back to verse 10 from chapter 2 yesterday as we had the conversation about how a woman adorns herself and that she should not look to adorn herself with worldly things, but rather with the 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 good of the Lord, with his good works, with his love for others. So when people look at her, they see Christ. So it is for the deacon. 
he would so live his life that when people would look to him, he has gained this good standing so that the faith that he has in Christ is seen and displayed. All right. You can talk to your kids about this section too. Does your pastor that you have at your church, does he fit this description? Do you know any young men in your community that do fit this description? You might seek to encourage them to be pastors. Now, to be quite honest and blunt, I don't know that there's a man alive who meets these qualifications fully. Um, We are sinners, all of us, and we all mess up. We all make mistakes, and we sin much. We sin daily. Paul did himself. So um, we do also have to live with forgiveness. Don't forget that part. We forgive one another. Um, But we still want to encourage these gifts, these characteristics in the men that would shepherd our congregations. Verse 14, uh, Paul writes that he was hoping to come to Ephesus soon, but knows, realizes the possibility of a delay, so he wrote this letter. Here's your purpose. He wrote this letter in case there's a delay so that Paul, uh, so that Timothy knows how people are to behave in the household of God. That would be your best argument, by the way, for restricting yesterday's text to the church. Um, would be that phrase right there. But we are the household of God. The church is not a building, it is a people. So that's the, the counter to that argument too. The church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth, that that would be in your community is a blessing, Right? that you can share the gospel, that there is a gospel to be shared there because there is someone who has it. This is good. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. Verse 16, Paul then points us to Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. So Jesus took on flesh, was made known to us. That's the incarnation and Christmas. Vindicated by the Spirit. Seen by angels. Well, yeah, they've seen him. Proclaimed among the nations. That's good news, right? That Jesus has been proclaimed to all nations. Believed on in the world. Many have believed in him. There are two billion Christians in the world right now. That's a wonderful thing. And taken up in glory. So a reference to his ascension, that we might look at him, that we might look to heaven, that we might look to the paradise that awaits us because of Christ's promise that we will dwell with him forever. Amen.